welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour. It's the 73rd one as we keep chugging along here on Chit Chat Money. Uh, we do these shows live on YouTube on Thursdays. You can watch the replays there. Uh, most people just catch the replay or you can catch the podcast recording which goes out on Spotify, Apple, wherever, Sunday mornings. On these shows, we talk about whatever we want in the investing world. It might not be in the investing world for the whole time, but we try to mainly stick with the investing topic. And today we got a lot of stuff, Microsoft restructuring, the ARM IPO, uh, NVIDIA earnings maybe, although we're probably one of the worst people to talk about NVIDIA's earnings. Uh, and then we have a little ranking a little Mount Rushmore of the biggest signals of the 2021 bubble. I think that's a good call because I actually just wrote an article on Rivian today. So funny timing there. But Ryan, how are you doing today? Uh, we just recorded a show on Sprouts. So we've been talking a while here, but I guess we'll I'm have doing another well. hour. Yeah, another hour here. I'm doing well. There, it was it was kind of a newsy week. There's some fun stuff. Um. Yeah, I like these Mount Rushmores, and I put out a question on Twitter about it, and I got some funny responses, and it brings back just memories of excess. Uh, I miss I miss the bull market, man. Well, I miss, I miss the bubble. I was just reading this morning in the paper that we're getting a lot of the same stuff right now because I just there's a company called Gym Pass that just raised a bunch of VC funding and it apparently gives corporations, I think maybe it's just corporations, uh, allows their employees to get a really discounted membership at Gym Pass and they get personal trainers, they get access to all these different gyms, all this different stuff for the health focus things. And I was thinking, wow, the VC subsidized economy might just be back here. Could be exciting. Yeah, I do miss extremely cheap Ubers and Lyfts and ridiculous discounts on DoorDash. Yeah. The, the, if the VCs are willing to front my spending or subsidize my spending, I'm, I'm happy. Thank you. SoftBank. Let's get even that. If it means, even if it means people, uh, people are making money when they shouldn't. That's okay. That's okay. If they make money, it's fine. It's fine. If people make money on some bubbles, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just very, very difficult. The timing is the timing is tough. Yeah. hundred percent. I used to, yeah. And you know, kind of before I really ever experienced a bubble to some extent, I used to think like, you know, maybe it'd be possible to time bubbles, but the difficulty isn't only when you're like getting out it's okay. Let's take Bitcoin for example, because I think whatever people can call it a crypto winter, but when, when, you maybe could have got out of the top, but all along the way on the way down, you would have thought, oh, now it's cheap relative to like we could rebubble, you know, like you, there's always it's not just two decisions. It's you have to get get in, get out, and then you're probably going to feel inclined to get back in. Yeah, my I have a friend that always uh, is, we just kind of joke around with it, but I'm like, when he's selling your Bitcoin, he goes, nah, when it hits 100,000. And I go, not 99, not 101, not 100,000 exactly. It's just all arbitrary. Price target, man. Got to have a price target, I guess. I guess that's better than not having one. Uh, or maybe not, honestly. But what are we, <laughs> we got We got some good topics today. Yeah. You made some notes here. I think maybe the first, well, did you, with the ARM IPO, did you see that they kind of did a little self-dealing thing to try to pump up the price before the IPO? Did you oh, yeah. That? Yeah, yeah. Oh, was, yeah. That was a classic. That's yeah, a signature. Were... That's that's the signature move. When has that ever gone wrong for SoftBank? <laughs> yes, SoftBank. Yeah, really. Uh, the, the radar goes off. So you're on high alert when looking at a SoftBank deal. But yeah, why don't we talk about that first? I think it's a good relation to the semiconductor boom, the AI boom, 
we don't know much about ARM, but it could be a very fun company to cover. Uh, but yeah, and I saw my video was a little walk, wacky there, but I think it's good now, right? Yeah, looks good to me. Okay, um, okay ARM. They, so I guess the UK-based chip maker, they were bought out by SoftBank in 2016. And there's kind of this interesting quote, which is that, or I think this is from the S1, maybe it was from a report, I can't remember. It says SoftBank recently bought... Basically, they, they there was a portion that they didn't own of ARM. They said they bought the 24%, 25% stake in ARM that it didn't own outright from its vision fund unit, reportedly at a valuation of more than $64 billion. Um, keep in mind, two years ago, ARM agreed to sell itself in 2020, three years ago, I guess, for $40 billion in cash and stock to NVIDIA. So I would be surprised if it's worth 50% more than what it was worth in 2020, but um, especially because it was a strategic acquisition for NVIDIA that got shut down by regulators because of anti-competitive concerns. I think it was, I think that was the reason, but it did get shut down. There was a lot of industry concerns around that. Yeah. So SoftBank, I hope I'm getting all the numbers right, but they acquired ARM for like 30 billion or something in 2016. 2020 comes around, which God, they paid a lot for that in 2016. They arm agreed to sell itself for 40 billion. Then three years later, which it got shut down by regulators. Three years later, SoftBank wants to IPO this thing. So it invests, it buys the remaining quarter of the business for $64 billion valuation. This reminds me, unsurprisingly, of WeWork. When it raised, WeWork raised money at a forty-four or forty-seven billion dollar valuation prior to coming public, and then they tried to IPO at like sixty billion. Obviously, this is a better business than WeWork, but SoftBank tries to say like, "Here's what it should be worth." And now yeah. there's, it's not clear what valuation SoftBank is seeking, but reports are that it could be valued between sixty and seventy billion dollars. Now, maybe they get. Maybe they get away with this just because of the chip chip buzz and the fact that, I mean, the the IPO market just still seems to be broken mechanically. Like you can just sell such a small percentage and then just uh, prop the stock up. But anyway, they did in twenty twenty three. They did two point seven billion dollars in revenue and half a billion dollars in net income, and revenue is not growing. It was down year over year in twenty twenty three. Today's episode is presented by the Science of Hitting Investment Research Service. The Science of Hitting was founded by Alex Morris, who spent a decade working as a buy-side equities analyst before launching his own service in early 2021. You've heard him here on the show a number of times, but Alex produces really, really high-quality equity research. And in addition, he provides 100% transparency into all his portfolio decision-making. We were early subscribers to the Science of Hitting Research Service, and we genuinely believe that Alex produces research that is on par with top Wall Street analysts at a fraction of the cost. I mean, the fact that you also get complete portfolio transparency and 100% accountability is just icing on the cake. Effectively, you're outsourcing a full-time equities analyst role for just $349 per year. Brett and I both pay for the service on our own, and we can tell you that it's honestly worth the money. Some of the companies that Alex covers includes Microsoft, Netflix, and Meta, Roku, Costco, Match Group, Berkshire, tons of others. So if you're interested, check out the TSOH Investment Research Service today at thescienceofhitting.com. Assuming $70 billion, that means it's IPOing at 136 times earnings. And it's not like this is like super depressed earnings or something where it like hasn't well, become may- profitable yet. Maybe it could it could have more. That's not what I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's not like this is like marginally profitable where right, all right, of a right. sudden it, like it's some f- floof earnings multiple it's a legit earnings multiple yeah for reference yeah. right now i mean arm isn't that crazy i guess if you put it on a relative comp to nvidia nvidia is at 44 times sales trailing which it's going to come down quickly uh whereas ARM would be at 26 times sales, but ARM doesn't seem to be growing nearly as quick as NVIDIA. So, Well, NVIDIA's 50% operating margins are totally sustainable. 
Uh, no, I actually have no idea if they are. But this leads to a comment we got. Thank you for the few people joining. Uh, sorry, I can't fake alias. Okay, that's definitely a pseudonym. <laughs> uh, says, thoughts on slightly overpaying for a great business, which people describe Arm as a great business, kind of a monopoly, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I honestly haven't looked at it closely. We're way in the dark here. But it's definitely something that people describe as a great business. And here you might be slightly overpaying. So any thoughts on that? I definitely have thoughts on that, but maybe you can go first, Ryan. Well, I don't know enough about ARM to call it a great business. So irrespective of ARM, I don't, I don't know. It depends how you define overpay, because if you're overpaying, then you're not going to get a return. But if you're just buying like an optically expensive multiple on something that you think can grow well above market rate for a long time, then you're not overpaying. You know what I mean? But I know that's taking it kind of literally, but the... From an earnings multiple perspective, I think you just don't want to get too wide on each spectrum. Like there's people, and there's still people that do this, and I think it's a giant mistake. And they basically close their eyes and say, oh, valuation, I don't worry about that. The business takes care of itself. I think that's a giant mistake. Generally, you sometimes want to be lenient on an earnings multiple, but if you're saying, oh, I'll buy stuff regardless of the price, you're going to get into Shopify 50 times sales in 2020, you're going to, I mean, that's obvious. That was never going to make any money. But on the other hand, if you say, oh, I can't buy that, it's got a PE, it's got an earnings multiple of 18. And you're like, or Amazon, you're like, Amazon trades at 100 times earnings. I mean, I don't know. When are they ever going to be profitable? So I think you got to meet in the middle a little bit and take a little bit of both sides there. Yeah. I mean, I used to think like, oh, I'll pay up, you know, if it's a great business because it can grow at kind of an exceptional rate. But the I've become less, maybe, maybe it's, this is just like the bear market over the last two years talking, but I, I don't like saying that as much anymore because it's really hard to do that for most businesses, especially do that profitably. Unless like, you're at a, tr- a weird like Amazon thing where it's like the earnings multiple is a hundred right now, but it's actually not. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, just model it out, I guess. Like, what do you think they can earn in three to five years? Are you paying a ridiculous price for that? No, then, okay. Yeah. Then I have no problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Trailing, trailing, trailing earnings multiples. I mean, don't, don't matter. They they have zero relevance because it's all about what the cash the business is going to generate in the future. Um, but we don't need to go through a a, uh, <laughs> a lecture here. Uh, we got a, a comment from Andrew Marshall, which again, we just had an interview with him. Andrew, check them out at uh, Mindset. Uh, oh, I always get confused with what was Capital Mindset. There's a Mindset Capital and a Capital Mindset. They have a Capital Mindset YouTube channel. We just had an interview released today with him on Paylocity which is a fast growing business. Uh, here's a question. Thoughts on trying to focus on other players like NVIDIA who make money building the infrastructure for AI. I think that's where the money is currently at for AI. That, uh, I, that's not my circle of competence. I have no clue. Like I, 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 I don't know at all. I like the semiconductor equipment side of things because I think that those businesses have been they have some competitive advantages that I can slightly understand. Applied materials, ASML, land research, uh, forgetting a couple others. But besides that, in semiconductor land, I'm not comfortable with a lot of the other stuff. But curious your thoughts, Ryan. Yeah, I don't like uh, I'm in the same boat as you. Maybe we're just old economy people where we're, we, we like boring businesses that aren't that sexy, but. Uh, I don't know. My underlying assumption with all this AI talk is that like American Tower benefits. And I don't even know if that's really true, but I would just have to believe it is. American the, Tower? Wait, wait, what? Yeah, right. Um, maybe in some way. I guess. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. the, the Yeah, yeah. A little or bit. AWS benefits. How about that? AWS is a little clear. Yeah. I like whenever we have a software company follows Autodesk. They just reported earnings, pretty strong earnings. And I'm like, 
Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I guess AWS is going to keep growing because there's plowing money into cloud demand. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, AI kind of makes me wince right now. You know, with chips, like, I know NVIDIA and ARM and these businesses seem so good right now, but I can't help but think like if someone told you what the overall whole spend is going to be on the chip industry in, for 2023, and they told it to you in 2005, let's say, they said, you know, they're going to be spending, the world is going to be spending this much money on chips. What would you have paid for Intel? Or what would you yeah. have paid for a lot of the big chip businesses at the time? Like these, like the world changes, especially in innovative industries like this. Like it can change. Yeah. Here's here's what I think. Um, this has really nothing to do with the investment thesis or anything. It's more of a gripe that I saw someone pointed out is that no, okay. NVIDIA guided next quarter, I think it was next quarter, for $16 billion in revenue, plus or minus 2%, right? They have no idea what the revenue is going to be. And they're sending a plus or minus 2% revenue guide. No one, they, 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 <laughs> are you kidding me? It should be plus or minus 50% because of how crazy that market is. The most, maybe one of the most uncertain revenues out there, quarter or quarter basis, just because of the crazy supply chain in that market right now. Yeah. I, mean, I, probably, I thought that was probably, crazy. well, they're probably already a third of the way into their quarter. So they have some sense, but. Yeah, but uh, still, like last quarter, uh, let me, okay, I'll pull it. I want to pull it up. I'm responding to a comment here. We've got a question. Are you guys covering Discover Financial in an upcoming podcast? Yes, we yes, are. Sir. Next week, we already recorded it. Comes out Tuesday, the, what would that be, like the 28th, something like that? Yep. Tuesday, the 28th, we're going to have Discover Financial. Let's talk about that for a second. What did you think? Good. Little, we can't spoil the show, but what did you think, Discover? <laughs> little debrief i think it's a, got a little hair on the bone but it looks yeah you know that, that meme expression? of the medieval person where they're like blinded and there's like the lady sticking out her butt <laughs> that's yeah, basically yeah. discover where it's like ah it's tempting it's tempting so I, cheap let's just own it and pretend yeah own it and close our eyes in the loan book um exactly exactly i, yeah, I liked it though cheap. i think i mean it's got a good earnings per share um track record now let me look at their okay i'm gonna look at nvidia okay. i just keep thinking like with the regulatory stuff or right, go ahead go ahead i'm doing yeah I'm yeah just i guess heads up for anyone that's about to listen to discover there's some regulatory problems but it's like just ridiculously cheap is kind of basically the like entire debate does it affect the customers in any way i don't yeah. think so yeah um anyway there's definitely the, there that, that was a big holdup of stuff we would want to research further yeah um I hey, let me let me funny. get the note wait let me get the note on nvidia so that last quarter they guided for 11 billion for this quarter plus or minus two percent right plus or minus two percent and the revenue was 13.5 billion so again their, their cfo is crazy just don't 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 give up guidance when you have no idea what your revenue is going to be but continue well if you have a feeling that's going to be ridiculously over it yeah, then definitely do it. I guess that's true. If, if the ducks, if the ducks, yeah, the ducks are quacking. Uh, you got to feed them, right? Zoom is going back into the office. You see this? I did see that. Yeah, pretty hilarious, huh? Announced Ironic. over a Zoom call. Announced over a Zoom call. Yeah. He said that you can't be as innovative or build as much trust working via Zoom, which definitely true it's 100 percent true and simultaneously ironic because yeah. that's like their whole product okay i we got this i got another note here it all kind of relates together to what you just said raised to zoom and nvidia i think this is a great tweet from upslope capital says this will probably get mocked but this the generalist passerby in me uh sees a lot of this nvidia commentary and it smells a lot like Zoom 2020 kind of stuff. It was a, I paraphrased a little bit of that. It was a tweet. Sometimes, you know, they're hard to read. What do you think there? Because I'm seeing a lot of stuff where people are saying, I'm buying NVIDIA. It looks cheap here. Like the earnings are so well. I, I think it's highly unlikely. They are highly likely they're over earning. 
they gotta be. They have to be. It's a supply shortage. Just worry about talking about NVIDIA at all because I just don't know anything about it. Semis is such a black box for me. Oh yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I, I I could be totally wrong, but it feels it smells the similar situation, right? Where they're doing it's such an optimal operating environment that Zoom's business still grew and the stock expectations were just too high. Like the expectations on Nvidia right now are just insane. Yeah, I mean, Zoom. It is. Yeah, it is interesting because remember Burry's tweet, which is like, "How are we not at peak Zoom?" I mean, it's it was prescient. It was perfectly timed, and the, the, the revenue. Yeah, but the revenue still the went up. Business, the business went. Down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the top line got better, but the usage from average people obviously declined. And he, and yeah, he nailed it. Even though enterprises are using it or paying more and more, or whatever. But yeah, they got people to actually pay now. The or more and more customers to pay. I think with Nvidia. So margins are exploding higher, right? I don't know what the number was. Maybe it was like 50%. I think it was actually higher. Margins are exploding higher. The key with a high margin business is that, I think this is kind of a philosophy I typically have, the higher margin of businesses, the stronger the competitive advantage must be. And the lower margin business it is, the more the margin is in, or excuse me, the more the competitive advantage is in the margin. Because if they're earning 50% operating margins selling chips to Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, that gives them those three companies that much more of an incentive to try to break away and make their own products. So NVIDIA's competitive advantage better be damn strong if they're going to maintain this extremely high pricing power. Yeah, that is the other thing. It's like, if you're earning that much money and you are obviously probably feel the liberty to just raise prices at will you are going to attract a ton of competition now if maybe like i bet semiconductor experts probably don't even listen to the show if if you know semis we're just sorry yeah, yeah. if you're if you're but, an expert here we're 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 generalists through and through but unless nvidia is literally impossible to catch like technology wise people will be coming for their lunch yeah, Whereas exactly. Amazon already is. A company like Home Depot or Costco, it's too, like, I don't know. They're not, it's kind of the opposite. They're a low cost provider. Like, yeah. you have to, it's it's harder to compete with that, I guess. It's harder to catch yeah. up. Although we do Whatever. have a comment. We do have a comment from Matt H here, Jensen the goat. So, true. Yeah. You know, that is Jensen true. Is the goat. I mean, yeah, he's executed so well. Okay, here's one. We Plus, have he wears that leather jacket. I mean, yeah, he looks good. Not a, like, I'm not a le- I'm not a leather fan, but he uh, he does look good. That and he holds up the chips like it's a boot box. <laughs> it's funny. All right, here's yeah. we have two questions. I'll try to hit both. The first one relates to semi, so I'll hit that one first. Why shouldn't ASML and TSMC capture the improving economics, given that they are the bottlenecks in the semiconductor industry? I think that's the interesting part of the semiconductor industry is that. You look at a lot of the stuff, all parts of the supply chain you have. Um, you start with that. Well, maybe they're not a monopoly, but Apple has a moat. Then you look at NVIDIA. Apparently, they're a monopoly right now on these high-end stuff. Then if you go back to TSMC, they're an emerging monopoly in a lot of this stuff. But then if you go to ASML and applied materials, they're kind of a monopoly in their equipment niches. Who has the true pricing power here? And I think it generally, like all these stocks have done well for over the long term. <laughs> Generally, the unit economics flows through pretty evenly to all these companies. I'm sure ASML probably has more pricing power, given that they're extremely hard to reproduce. But I think as a generalist, I would say probably flows through fairly uh, evenly. Like TSMC is not going to say, if NVIDIA is earning this much margin, TSMC is going to raise their prices, especially as their costs are rising, as they're trying to put more factories in Europe and the United States. Yeah. Can we stop talking about semis now? I feel super unqualified. <laughs> yeah. We have some comments that saying people underestimate how hard it is to develop chips. Um, even Apple has struggled to replace Qualcomm's chips. 
Um, and yeah, there's some comments here about serious deaths, but Amazon and Google being able to execute and make products to replace NVIDIA for a long time. That's from Andrew Marshall. Again, we had the interview with him today. So yeah, I mean, that could be true. It's just, they're gonna, like, the incentives are there. But yeah, we have another question. Let's talk Lowe's. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, Tom said, enjoyed your recent deep dive on Lowe's. Could you give some thoughts on your opinion of Lowe's versus Home Depot? Thank you for the question. And thank Anna, you for listening. Yeah, you want to go? first there um well i think they both benefit from a lot of the same tailwinds which is that the home stock grows the average age of homes grow and more and more people need what lowe's provides lowe's and home depot provide the difficulty for shareholders and maybe home depot's probably done a better job providing it just all else equal like to professionals to consumers the in-store experience they've done a slightly better job i bet that's visible in the comp sales would be my guess um the difficulty from a shareholder's perspective is that home depot is more expensive and has been more expensive which it's not that like i'm not worried about the multiple compression but they're not able to return as much cash to shareholders with their buyback program as lowe's is which has been so helpful in lowe's juicing its earnings per share so lowe's has really been able like if if home depot were able to trade at the same multiple as lowe's it would be in such a better spot in terms of ability to grow per share value versus lowe's the difficulty is for shareholders that's just not the reality yeah and do you think it's kind of a weird like they've done so good that it's a disadvantage in terms of returning capital yeah do you think there's a giant difference in business quality between the two because i don't think it's that big no but on a slightly bigger store base they generate three times the revenue from professionals so obviously they're doing something much better on the pro side that we're not seeing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, for like the average dad, that's just like fixing up their house or buying, you know, a couple two by fours, like, yeah, I probably not that big of a difference. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Home Depot. I don't know if it's that significant, but Home Depot, definitely higher quality business. What do you think? Did you hear Autodesk rule of 40? Hear this news? He said it on the, in the call again. In the conference call, yeah, you, throw up. You do, you do hate that. Yeah, well, that is a bit of a conundrum because it's a business that can just <laughs> grow revenue ten percent in perpetuity, but they uh, have some things that, yeah, are interesting from a capital allocation framework. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Let's just say they're one of Ryan's pet peeves. Uh, Oh, executive yeah. teams, uh, but they beat, they, they apparently beat. So they're making puns on the conference call. So oh, good. God, I want to vomit. Look at this. We continue to manage our business using a rule of 40 framework with the goal of reaching 45% more or more over time. Rule of well, 45. I mean, that's better. <laughs> Listen, that's rule of 45, I guess is better than rule of 40. But like I said, like they could just have 40% for cash flow margins if they wanted to. Yeah. Nah. And it's non-gap operating margin. So, yeah. All right. Here's one that was an interesting topic. It's obviously not a big deal to the actual company that made the investment, but Berkshire, probably one of the lieutenants, made an investment in the home developers. Curious your thoughts on that, because we are very skeptical on that, and I continue to remain skeptical on the industry at large, or maybe uncertain, I guess. I think it's very strange. I, I don't know what to think. What do you think they, they see here? Because clearly they know the industry much better than us. I mean, they literally own Clayton Homes. Well, I got to tell you, shame on us, honestly, because we looked at MVR. Yeah, MVR was fine. We, we should. We did, yeah. we did a whole home, home builder theme at like the perfect time. And every single one of them, we were like, yeah, it looks pretty attractive, but if home prices collapse, then we're, you know, what happens? Well, even if home prices collapse, I think they're going to be fine because they can still sell their homes. It seems like maybe that's what Berkshire is saying is that like, even in a weak housing market, all these home builders are doing a decent job continuing to sell homes. And it's maybe it's just that undersupply that everyone seems to talk about, which 
means people like home builders like this are going to have no trouble selling at the same average price. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just that they obviously are better in terms of analyzing the home builder industry. Yeah. I think the wild card is immigration rates. I'm still a home. I'm still a home price hater. Oh yeah. But I guess that doesn't mean the home builders are going to do it. You know, it doesn't mean the home builders are going to do bad, but obviously the affordability issue is not sustainable. Relative to rental prices though, it's not that like home ownership here is still not the wrong option. Well, I hate to break your anecdotal evidence, Ryan, but I saw a stat that in Seattle, at least it's twice uh, as expensive on average for the equivalent. Um, uh, monthly cost? The monthly cost for, yeah, for a, this is like early, early this year. So I think you might, it, it's like equivalent quality, you know? So it's definitely, right. So it's more, maybe you're looking at more of a anecdote on a starter home, which, you know, might be cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I hope home prices go down because I'm a bitter hater of, <laughs> as a non as a non homeowner. Here's an interesting question. I, I think about this one. I don't know what the question is or the answer is. If we did, we'd make a lot of money. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows the answer to this question, but it's fun to speculate on. What do you guys think happens to home prices if mortgage rates fall from seven percent to four and a half to four to five percent? Do you think oh, sellers like flood question. the market and outweigh the buyers, or vice versa? Okay. I think a lot of people that have put off moving because mortgage rates went so high sell their home and move. So like movement would accelerate because I mean I, anecdotally I know so many people that were like thinking about moving, rates shot up, they're not going to get out of their 3% mortgage to go hop into a 7% with prices not down that much. So if things shot back down, I think a lot of those people would finally choose to sell their homes. And yeah, I, I think that's exactly right from what Tyler said. I think that floods the market with supply. Yeah. What's interesting is people talk about, or I think it's maybe real estate investors, stuff like that. You see it online. They talk about, oh, when interest rates come back down, then prices will start going up again. But I think at least in the near term, it, since the market is in a weird limbo period where everyone's frozen, if mortgage rates came down, I think prices, I would be on the side of saying prices would come down a good amount um, just because of the, the the flood of supply that would hit the market. I when don't, we, like it wouldn't, like it wouldn't be, I, I don't know how big, but I would say I would lean to them falling just because now it opens it up for people to buy homes. And since the affordability levels to get back to, you know, like pre-pandemic levels, I think, or maybe it's during when it was mortgage rates were like sub 3% would require like a 30 to 40% price drop. I think it would, like if a bunch of people are, are transacting, they're not gonna be buying at these affordability rates that are 50% higher, 60% higher, 70% higher mortgage payments. Now, if the interest rates go down to four to 5% on your mortgage, maybe that's 30, 40% higher than the low mortgage rate pre-pandemic period. But I still think you need an adjustment there. If that makes sense. A lot of numbers. Uh, I feel like I'm talking in circles. I remember when when I made, so I made a prediction at the beginning of the year that home prices were going to fall by 10%. I don't, I don't think it's happened, but. Close. It could still happen. I mean. It, I said there was basically easy. three things that could happen at the real estate market. Home prices could come down to bring affordability down. Mortgage rates could come down. Or everything could stay flat for like 10 years and we could have insane GDP growth and it just slowly like uh, reaches kind of affordability. I'm starting to think that third option is a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Inflate ourselves away. No, I'm I mean, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Just if we can just get like 5% nominal GDP growth for five years, we're back, you know? We're back to, we're probably close to affordability. Yeah, it would be the roaring 20s. All right. Uh, let's do uh, Mount Rushmore because we got a good amount of time, but I want to. Yeah, make sure we have time. I sure. This one. Okay. okay. What is the criteria? Just make it up as you go along. I uh, do not care. No one's, we're not, no winning here. It's just for fun. Mount Rushmore, biggest 
signs of the 2021 bubble, biggest signals of the top, if you will. Okay. Do you want to go first? Yes, I can go first. And I'm not going to look up your tweet until after. So we can look at some of those replies after. It's a bit of fun. Number one, and I teased this at the beginning, is the Rivian IPO. $100 billion pre-revenue, raised $12 billion. And yeah, the business has improved significantly, but this thing is still negative gross margins. And it's kind of crazy how good they've done from an operational standpoint, because again, I will say $100 billion pre-revenue. I think that was right near the top. That's the one that they're going to be talking about. 10, 15, 50 years from now as the key IPO along with Tesla or not Tesla's IPO, but related to the EV space, the EV bubble, Rivian IPO is, I think the number one indicator for that electric vehicle bubble. No, no, no. What was the other one? Oh, Lucid? Quantumscape? No, the one that rolled down the hill. <laughs> Nikola? Yeah, but that's not the top. That, that might be worse. But that was, that was summer. Wasn't that like a $44 billion market cap at some point? Yeah, yeah, it billion. was a little. It was it was a pump and dump type deal, uh, but it, that was that was summer 2020. So I think it's a little early, a little early. Yeah, um, I've got this one, which was a response. So I'm taking this from someone else. Uh, an NFT of a rock sold for 1.7 million dollars. That's a did good you one. see yeah. this? I mean, the I mean NFT- this was maybe like. There was plenty of these. There's plenty the of biggest sign of excess out there. I know all these NFTs were just that's part of the problem with this Mount Rushmore is there were so many, like just ridiculous things. Um yeah. Let me share my screen. Can uh, my screen? Uh, can I I'll let you? All right, should be able to now. This was the rock. This, <laughs> yeah, no, this, I, <laughs> this sold for $1.7 million. And the screenshot is free. I'm looking at it right now. The could have been a hey, could have been money. Look, to be fair to these people, could have been money money laundering. I think, you know, give them a little respect. Could be money laundering, but if they just spent $1.8 million on a picture, it actually doesn't matter what the picture was. It, like it could be a picture of the Mona Lisa, it doesn't matter. The still is a is a waste of money. It is um, funny if this was just like pure money laundering and everyone's like, you know what? That's not that crazy. That's honestly it. more respectful. There was a me. lot of there was a lot of people that were like 1.7 million. Okay, that makes sense. I could I could see that. You know, this NFT stuff, I you know, I kind of get it. It's uh God, it was it was a straight bubble. And you know what? I remember there was like I think people are just trying to be open-minded. I get it. But a lot of people fell for this NFT crap. There was even on value after hours, uh, Bill was like, no, I kind of get it. You know, it kind of makes sense. It's cool. You can get like this, like cool art. And then Toby just ripped into him and was like, no, dude, it's the same as all the other bubbles. It's, it's bullshit. <laughs> and I mean, nailed it. Yeah. The, yeah. NFTs in general. I mean, that, it's just pure ridiculousness. I, w- can I, my second one be Axie Infinity or is that too related to the NFT? Because I think crypto. That was the one where you could like, or it's just like a bunch of South was, Korean, like. No, no, Philip. Uh, okay. Let me explain how Axie Infinity worked. It was a crypto NFT type thing, but it was supposed to be web three gaming where if you played the game, you earn these tokens. And if the tokens went up a bunch in value that was related to it, you can make a decent amount of money. In the United States, it wasn't really relevant, but for people in the Philippines where it caught on, they could make a lot of money. So they played this video game that was pretty bad, like a, like a not a fun video game. And that was their job for a little while. And it was one of the most insane things ever. People, it kind of spurred the whole Web3 ga- gaming thing. And that was just pure <laughs> nonsense. We're like, yeah, we're going to, this is the future. We're going to make games and then just have these tokens and then if people in the low-income countries play them, we're just going to give them money. It makes a lot of sense. And I don't, um, yeah, it was the whole play to earn strategy. So that that's my second one for sure. I think that kind of relates to the web three. <laughs> Wait, remember another term that no one uses at all today? DeFi. Growth of DeFi. Remember that? No. All right. Well, good. Wait, what was, was DeFi again? That was the decentralized finance, Web3. Oh, Remember? Yeah. DeFi. DeFi. 
this is the future of finance. Okay, I've got another one. Wait, is that is that, that was my second? Axie Infinity. Yeah. Okay. They also, uh, I think, lost six hundred million dollars in a hack to, I believe, it was North Korea. So they really helped North Korea fund its weapons program. So congrats to them. Well, all right. Um, okay, this one for me was maybe one of the better businesses, but was the most ridiculous in my personal opinion. In what was this late twenty twenty one? AMC. No. <laughs> Shopify hit $210 billion market cap. It was doing a little over $3 billion in sales. And it's not super high margin sales either. Like a lot, Decent, of, it was, but a lot a, of it was just yeah. going to MasterCard and Visa. Yeah, not a, yeah, not a, not, not Visa and MasterCard, 60% operating margins, which still a 50 times sales is ridiculous. Yeah, it, to me, good good this good. was the most like on every one of them, even maybe Rivian. Well, Rivian hit 100 billion. It's probably more ridiculous, but there's like a path to whatever. Like, let's take uh, what's it called? That horrible uh, fake EV company, the Lordstown Motors, Nikola. Well, any one of them, you could like make a path to say like, oh, if production ramps up, yada, 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 you know, there, there's some world where it generates enough cash with Shopify at this time, it would have taken such absurd growth for like 15 years for this to ever make sense. Oh yeah. It didn't make sense. I remember doing a poll at the time. Hey, what do you like better Shopify or Dropbox from these levels over the next five years? And almost everyone said Shopify. I mean, the sentiment on that was crazy. It was like the, it could do no wrong. And I think there's a lesson there. You got to look back at history and yeah, we got a comment here. Remember quantum scape. Also people said SoftBank and WeWork's private valuations. I think that was a little too early, but yes, for the pre-pandemic one. I got WeWork on here too. Yeah, that was. That's a little early, I think for the 2021 one. Some of those, like, what do they call it? The. The shit coins or whatever. Those oh oh shit, most- shit, shit. Okay, well, don't come on, come on. These are options. No spoilers. I could, I could use that. Oh, sorry, but yeah, I mean, those were just ridiculous. Like, okay, so they were coming got? out and getting like, I don't know, if you just came up with a funny enough name, like you would have like a five billion dollar crypto market cap or whatever. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So, what are your choices? Uh, NFT of a rock selling for $1.7 million and Shopify at 60 times sales. Okay. So I went first. So I did Rivian IPO and Axie infinity. My third one is going to be SPAC silly season, January, 2021 specifically with, um, try to be as nice as possible, but scam off. Yeah. Like he's. No, he's on the worst person, the worst, the worst person in all of finance, which I love that everyone turned against him. It's great. No one, please no one give him money. He's just a scam artist. I, I don't really frustrates me because he gets people to lose money. It's just not. He's fair. in the arena, Brett. You're, not, <laughs> we're, you're on the sidelines. We're recording a Zoom right on the sidelines. We're recording a Zoom right now. But yes, back silly season. What was it like 300 in that month of January, 2021? Something like that. Uh, he had the picture of the his the whatever the shirtless pic. I don't know what context was, but the, that was hilarious. And then the one where he goes, "This was the the he called the top when he he got very the ego was high, and he has had that tweet where he said, "I'm gonna f uh, stuff up," but you know the f word, and we'll try to be uh, clean here for people in the car with their kids, but. Yeah, remember that one? That was the sign of the top uh, for that, for at least that type of stuff, for the hyper growth stuff, which was absolutely, um, I don't know. It, it, it was good timing, I guess, by by him. And it's always got a little bit of a story beginning there. And that kind of reminds me of the, I don't think I'm going to choose this one because I have a better one, or maybe I think I have a better one, but the ARC Tesla model. 
that was a big one too. When they were, were saying the insurance company is going to be worth like twice as much as as progressive. Uh, yeah. Okay. That was good. Okay. What's your third? What's your third? Um, in, I guess this is 22. So maybe this is cheating, but fortune magazine had on the cover, Sam Bankman freed saying the next Warren Buffett question mark. Yeah. I don't know if that's too that's late, gotta, but I think that counts. That counts. Yeah. That's gotta be up there. Yeah. The DeFi King. Living in the Bahamas. We all know how that went. Okay. My fourth one is going to be the, sh- the one you mentioned. You kind of gave me this one. The fall 2021. Actually, let me confirm what it was because I want to confirm this timeline. With the uh, shit coins, I guess, is the only way to describe them. These crazy crypto things, which I don't honestly call. I, I don't know the difference between a Shiba Inu coin and a Bitcoin. I think they're the exact same. Call me crazy, but these prices went absolutely berserk. Yeah, we're gonna look at Shiba Inu. Uh, yep, this timeline works out for me because I was at is the peak was looks like here October twenty seventh, twenty twenty one, and I remember distinctly at a Halloween party. Uh, so that at that time, the price of it was point zero zero zero. Oh God, zero. Seven, eight. Did they do a coin split? <laughs> yeah, I know. The whole point of this one, which is whoever created this, smart, give it to them. They made it the lowest like price because people just price anchor to penny top sty- stock type psychology. If it hits a dollar. <laughs> no, yeah. The, I remember distinctly this guy at a Halloween party all drunk. He's like, dude, if it hits one cent, I'm rich. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Because that guy had, was not in finance at all. And there was so, I mean, that was for me personally. And I think a lot of people just in general seeing those charts go, that was such a signal that it was silly season. Yeah. There were a lot of personal experiences I had where retail investors got in or just people that really weren't that interested in investing got into stuff with no idea. And then if you like, I remember trying to caution them. I'm like, okay, whatever. Just you're just no, a hater. Uh, yeah, you're just a hater. Okay, here's a trivia. <laughs> you're, you're one of those short sellers, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil short sellers. You probably know John Hempton, which, yeah. Well, the one person I miss is Kabuki, that Twitter account, the funniest Twitter account ever. RIP. I don't know what happened. Compliance probably hit him, but the funniest stuff. Some of the jokes were just so good. Okay, here's here's a quiz question. What do you think the Shiba Inu market capitalization is at this moment? Shiba Inu coin. $5 billion. Damn, very good. $4.8 billion. Hey, right on. <laughs> There's $4.8 so billion dollars in wealth right now in Shiba Inu coin. Still out there. Okay, I'll take another one here. All right, last one. Yep. Which just think about how like I don't know it's got to be so frustrating like if you're trying to like I don't know better a society to just be putting money into such waste like yeah that could be allocated to useful things like it's five and a half billion or five billion that could be useful anyway yeah um, it's deflationary though so you know hey put the money there it's uh, gonna help fight it's helping fight inflation but okay what's your last one. Um, okay. This one, there was a, a GameStop frenzy. I'll take GameStop. It was 2021. Yeah. Um, everyone I knew that had no idea about finance was interested after this. Dude, they were call. Uh, dude. Yeah. Calling like that's the only, only times people were literally calling me multiple. Uh, <laughs> Should I be in on this? I mean, I had friends that were like, yeah, I bought a couple of shares. I had to be in on it. Like I saw I've never yeah. like probably set up brokerage accounts for the first time just to buy those shares. I saw a preview at for at Oppenheimer for I don't know what the movie's called. I saw it. But go, I saw it. Yeah, yeah. The dumbest movie that's going like <laughs> the dumbest movie. Like the who who plays Ken Griffin? I don't it's gonna make it's gonna feed into this is narrative that's just not true. I know. 
I would think. all respect to Ryan Kitty, legend, legend. But I like, yeah, Ryan Kitty seems like solid, but there's no reason to. It's going to make Ken Griffin look like a terrible person, which he's just run a successful investment firm. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe at the end, maybe, I don't know, maybe the movie is going to say something like, actually, these people were totally wrong and that's not how the world works, but I doubt it. It's going to, yeah, it's going to make everyone sympathize with like the person that had no idea what they were doing with their money, where it's like, and they're going to see, it's it's going to make Wall Street look bad when in reality, yeah. like people were just making dumb decisions with, with their money. I mean, yeah, people that like, are listening <laughs> to the show know that. Yeah. Like, know that was the reality. But people that watch that movie, I mean, most people, I would I would venture to guess here, most people that watch that movie are going to sympathize with the people that had no idea what they were doing. Yeah, they're going to be like, oh my God, people lost sc- money. <laughs> no, like, people they lost got, money. They got this. screwed by the suits. The People lost money in the stock market. This is crazy. God, we need to do something about this. Like, Yeah, this is right. an interesting question that's raised from Investors X. It says probably 1% of those shit coins are in circulating circulation, maybe. Um, what percent of the country's wealth do you think is wasted in, in, in crypto? Well, what was, I mean, shit coins for me is the entire crypto universe. Sorry for the crypto people out there, but that's just how I see it. So at one point it was $3 trillion. So significant amount. The entire Jeez. money. I didn't know it was that much. All right. Yeah, I mean, it was a bubble of epic proportions, Ryan, and it was global. Okay, the those things global. out. All right, so okay. what were yours? Chainos. All right, here. This is what twenty twenty. Well, you don't get a fifth. You don't get no, a no, fifth no, no. I'm just gonna say Chainos was right. He was right about everything. China, golden age of fraud, all that stuff. He was right. Listen to Chainos. My four were Rivian, Axie Infinity, Spac Silly Season. Shiba Inu Halloween party specific. The last one's specific to me. The, uh, okay. Mine were what? Uh, I guess I got to go through my notes here. Uh, okay. Shopify at 60 times sales, NFT of a rock sells for 1.7 million GameStop and. No, GameStop was last. There's one other one. I can't remember what it was. The, uh, anyway, this all this stuff makes me happy, makes me so like. It makes me happy that Jay Powell decided to raise rates, because he put <laughs> he put it all to an end. I mean, so we can, there's still waste, but he cut out ninety percent of it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. Well, anyone will post maybe type of the stuff on Twitter. Anyone else have any comments? Put them in there. It's fun to talk about this type of stuff and kind of look back as we're getting a couple of quarters, well, probably six quarters or so away from the top. Here's a question we have to round things out. Um, Thoughts on the Autodesk earnings. We have a question there from Xmark's thoughts on the Autodesk earnings. Uh, No surprises, really. Same as it was frustrations around capital allocation, but this is a business that showed again this quarter that can grow revenue at 10%, I think, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's such a good business. The I already talked about it kind of earlier in the show in case you maybe weren't there for that, but oh yeah, it was SBF being on the cover of Fortune magazine. Um but for your, the, for your third, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They talk a lot about the rule of 40 on the conference calls. It's frustrating for me, but the business is really solid earnings-wise. I thought it looked good. They are buying back a lot of stock, which is nice. Um and I mean, Billings is going to look weird because they're moving to like the annual cycle, but yeah, just look at revenue as the blend to blend it. Um, all the categories, all the product categories did well. APAC is still a lagger for them right now. APAC revenue is flat year over year. It was the only geography that wasn't growing. So yeah, I mean, growth for them is so easy. Remember when that company like wrote Autodesk a letter? It was like, please stop raising prices. You know, we can't, you know, we can't unsubscribe. Yeah. Well, they're going to keep raising them, but yeah, the, the, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, we talked about this, we covered them, I believe it was December, 2022. I think a lot of this stuff there, we still have probably the same thoughts today. So if you want a comprehensive overview on Autodesk, I would go listen to that or watch it. I believe it's on YouTube. Um, 
look, the value they're providing for their software versus what these corporations are paying is much lower and they have a ton of room to add value and also raise prices. So I think basically what they guide is 10% plus revenue growth and they can do that by raising prices. And then an interesting, unique thing for them is they have a ton of non-compliant users pirating their software and they can basically thread the needle on that, kind of push some levers and say, okay, well, if we want revenue to continue growing, we can steadily shut down more of these non-compliant users and force them to pay. And that's something that they can pull for a long, long time here. And there's also just a general tailwind of software utilization across the construction, manufacturing, and architecture space. There's a great, you know, that sounds like a great thesis, but it, it would be such, it would be so comfortable owning shares if the executive team weren't nonsensical on capital allocation yeah. and that could that could cause us to sell but the underlying business looks consistently strong um i did see uh what was it oh activision is having to spin off their cloud gaming components in order to appease uk regulators yeah it's so distributed that, through ubisoft so strange they just yeah they're selling it they're going to sell the rights to the cloud gaming to Ubisoft. Maybe it's the distribution rights, whatever. But then Microsoft's going to get it on the Game Pass. They'll just get it from Ubisoft. So it's weird. It's very weird. The other, the other part that's funny is like, I bet UK regulators are like, wow, we did it, guys. We stopped them. Like we, we forced them to spin out the cloud gaming. I bet like Activision and Microsoft were looking at each other like, Okay. Yeah. Like 1% of our usage is on cloud. So sure you can have yeah, it. Do whatever you want for the time being. All we're doing is I bet, perfect. The only thing they care about is perfecting the technology at this point. I bet it's lower than 1%. I bet like half a percent of the call of duty usage is on cloud. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they should just come out and talk about how unprofitable the Xbox division is. I bet it's unprofitable. So like, I know you better like hope, we're making these moves because we're not profitable. PS5 or PlayStation and Nintendo are the ones that get all the profits in the industry. I hope UK regulators are like patting themselves on the back for this one, thinking it's a win. Yeah, it's so they're letting this get through with like the most pointless contingency, but okay. And it's just like so a 15 year agreement. Like they can if if the technology's ever there, they can just take it back in the house. Eventually. It's, it's so weird. Yeah. Comment for Andrew Marshall here. UK regulators were so weird. It's like how they made Meta sell Giphy. Yeah. I mean, that's the classic example. Other question here from Tyler. I think it's a pretty easy one. Back to the Zoom topic. What do you guys think the future of work looks like? 100% work from home or office and mix? I mean, I think it's pretty clear now it's going to be a mix and it doesn't really matter that much. But it, if, the only thing that's going to matter is how much for the office landlords. That's the only, I think, thing that's crazy uncertain here. But it's definitely going to be a mix. I think more and more companies, we're seeing it now, pretty much every big company is coming out and saying, we're moving more back into in-person. We, yeah. we didn't, or at least we didn't, hybrid, we didn't but... notice it for a long time, but we're lacking productivity. We're moving back in person. And yeah, I think I, they might be blaming that as kind of a scapegoat for just over hiring. Maybe, but, but I, I mean, I know a lot of people that work remote and don't get they take their sweet time doing everything. Like if they were in the office, they would be forced to be more productive. Yeah, it's true. So maybe it's a way to do that. It's also a way to force people to quit. Uh, we've seen Amazon do that around here. Great but what's interesting is that it, interesting. Yeah, it is good strategy. Uh, a little bit devious. Interesting though. Almost all companies are reducing their square footage. So like even if like we see a reduction in work from home, that does not mean things are all clear for the landlords. But it's ten thirty, so got to run here. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Next week we're gonna have a guest on for me, so that should be a fun one. Uh, it's Jason Hall over the Smattering, one of our partner podcasts. He works on the Motley Fool. He's been on before, and people seem to love him. Or tentatively, it's gonna be Jason Hall. Uh, I think like he said he, he wanted said to, yes. but. Uh, he said yes, but you know, obviously his schedule could come up. We we talked about that last week. I could just be come really fun monologue for like an hour. God, that'd be hard. Being like a doing speeches, stand-up comedian stuff, that'd be so like it's amazing how they can they can talk for that long. But yeah, so I'm gonna be off next week. 
uh, but it should be a fun one. Sprouts Farmers Market's coming out in two weeks. Discover Financial next week. And we got some fun interviews in the queue. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you, everyone, again, for the commenters. You can do this live on YouTube on Thursdays. If you want to comment and ask questions that we can answer, we'll see you next time. 